Yeah. Because it's already 10 minutes. Yeah, sure. So, hello everyone. I am Shima mm -hmm. Beiji, co-founder and CEO of Thai Therapeutic. Um, and today we're actually recording the second episode of uh, our podcast, the AAAI podcast. And normally we record it online uh, separately and then we put it traditionally, classically on the platform. But today um, we decided to do a live Twitter space and it's going to be recorded. So it's going to be more fun. So very briefly, hmm. before I um, introduce my dear friends that agreed very kindly to be a part of this conversation, um, this uh, conversation is going to be about smart cities and um, as the uh, topic suggests, technology, mindfulness, consciousness, we're going to, we're going to look at how we can use um, these combination to change the uh, current paradigm of smart cities. So now, if, if I give you a little bit of background about myself, um, the company that I co-founded is a, um, uh, a blockchain company that uh, is attempting to create a future next generation of smart cities on, on the blockchain using uh, the current technologies for um, people, basically. So moving from the tech-centric um, paradigm to a more people-centric um, vision of uh, cities. Uh, I, also call, uh, I also wrote a book about um, this subject, it's called Mind for Smart Cities, it can be found on my profile, just put a picture of, uh, of its cover, and also on the website you can find a summary of its um, core thesis on the platform. And today I am um, joined by a dear friend of mine, Dennis, um, known as Jeremiah. He is uh, the founder of Dyn organization and the CTO of the Decode EU flagship project on blockchain technologies and data ownership involving pilot incorporation with municipal municipalities of Barcelona, Amsterdam. Um, Jeremiah is very uh, celebrated. Hi. <laughs> and um, I think uh, we can start the conversation. Maybe you can give a little bit of information about yourself and then we can uh, gradually shift the conversation and move on to how we can um, develop um, further this topic. Um, so, yeah, rather, rather than racing for the latest technology, I really appreciate your, your approach to mindfulness. And um, yeah, I'm very happy, therefore, to, to participate in this. Uh, my work is mostly concentrating in the last 10 years on uh, uh, applied cryptography and uh, the applied hints that I try to do it purpose-driven, so trying to see the effects of crypto on society and therefore uh, not just on the pocket of a few people or on the financial markets. And uh, besides this, I've been involved in the smart city ecosystem, especially because of dealing with data and consciousness. So how people can really perceive what is happening around them and read uh, the sort of information that makes them more aware of their choices and the way they move into public space or common space or private space. So I think smart cities and cities uh, indeed uh, they include all these sort of dimensions and therefore they are quite of a complex uh, beast and uh, perhaps more complex than um, just like um, 
rural spaces. They are dense and uh, they include a lot of technology to support this density and optimize also the, the, the resource consumption. So, yeah, I, I don't have big solutions. I like to apply uh, methodologies and, uh, and to cross the, the, the dialogue with an open mind also about what you define as a therapeutic and uh, what you define in your work as a transformation needed for uh, the sort of uh, also spiritual and uh, uh, personal dimension and not just like a device, uh, uh, an addition of new gizmos and device and features. So yeah, I hope I, I, I spiced up a little bit the discussion and that you, you are uh, there, Shima. Yes, yes, I'm listening. Thank you so much, Dennis. I, I think, mm, I think maybe let's take a little bit, uh, some couple of steps, maybe backwards uh, towards about the current paradigm of smart cities. As is very much, I think, um, uh, a monologue of big tech and and lately also uh, car companies invading the civil space and urban space wanting to make it smart i from my from my from my point of view from my own side um i remember when uh, i think uh, six years ago when i started uh, applying uh, principles of uh, back then when i finished my phd in 2015 i um, i linked mindfulness to engineering and then i realized well there is a lot of um space space of um thinking in cities so i came to this smart city space uh, not knowing uh, that well uh, the same engineering paradigm that i found in the uh, design of uh, infrastructures and socio-technological systems is going to be found out again in, in smart city space so um, the paradigm uh, was as i said a monologue of just big tech companies defining smart and i i remember when i analyzed all the existing definitions and visions of smart cities i was really shocked by two things first of all there was no women no woman hmm. actually providing any form of definition of smart city so i was hmm. very yeah. um, actually upset and, and kind of curious that what is the um the reason for this uh this trend and then i decided to to start um, writing about it and then um, gradually it it formed into a book and now the work uh, also kind of i think a little bit of more gender balanced approach to smart cities and then the second thing I was quite surprised by was that they, I would say 95% of vision of smart cities were defined by academics and um, experts in big tech companies. So there was absolutely no vision of smart cities that were really collectively asking people, what is smart in your perspective and what kind of actually, how do you see a smart city? How do you feel it about a smart city? And what would, what would it take for a city to be smart in your opinion? So um, I, was, I was quite um, shocked and surprised. And, and I think this is really motivates me to, to bring more, first of all, women. Also, I, I, I also respect a lot of amazing men in this space like yourself. Um, but also kind of uh, making, uh, providing digital literacy and letting people know that actually mm -hmm. they have the right to 
to talk and and when I asked you to join because I couldn't think of anybody else better than you that has done so much work in the awareness community awareness bringing civil participation into space so I thought this this would be an amazing space for us to to discuss that well what we can do in kind of what are the principles what are the steps of course there is no silver solution silver bullet solution here mm-hmm. but really the steps we can put forward in gradually pe- bringing people more into the, um, the space and and then yeah. um, kind of promoting this people centric and participation uh, in smart cities and then um, different kinds of business model i think would emerge as well yes well you're absolutely right in defining first of all the, the very dry uh, panorama we are in front uh, when it comes to technology and innovation in the past uh, 10 years and more, uh, there is little diversity. Uh, and this diversity is not just an ethical uh, concern, it's really a quality concern. If we, if we just narrow down the voices to the few powerful or marketing-driven uh, narratives that have been produced so far, uh, we won't really lead any uh, revolution, any evolution, any co-evolution. <laughs> we will just uh, have uh, one more, um, one more uh, buzzword to ring uh, in our bells. So let's start from the word. Uh, I like your question, like what is smart? And I think so far what smart meant in most of the implementations that we see um, also in our homes, so smart homes, uh, smart cities, uh, smart life, has been an increasing uh, pervasion of the view, the, the inquisition, the inquiry, I should say, but it's also an inquisition, an inquiry of the eyes of a machine into our lives and into our spaces. So machines understanding us machines connecting to our networks, machines um, observing, not much activating, but observing actions that uh, are supposed to help us. But on the other side, and this also you mentioned well, there is a lack of understanding from people of what these machines do. And uh, this comes to the advantage of the companies that build these machines. Of course, the best, I mean, the, the dream of, of a company producing machines that we adopt in our lives is that this machine remembers our credit card and that bills us anytime is possible or anytime laws allow that. So this is uh, a sort of uh, a milling of uh, money, uh, also microtransactions, made for people uh, in the name of helping them. What happens is that most of the time we don't even know um, how and when and why this happens. So I think um, it will become a value proposition at a certain point, since people are not stupid and they also look their (laughs) credit card uh, um, ledgers. Uh, It will be a value proposition to give people an advantage with technologies that help them, but also make them 
well aware of what these technologies are doing and why. I give you an example very um, well in the personal sphere. What we take as a smart today as a personal appliance, so we start from the micro here, is um, an appliance like a washing machine or a, or a fridge that connects to the Wi-Fi network and uh, somehow tells us when it's on and when it's off or um, when it's empty and needs to buy something. So there is this typical vision of a smart appliance that uh, some companies have put forward a fridge that can order things on Amazon when the fridge is getting empty of the goods that we usually consume. So in this panorama, what we don't have is a control on what is really our habit. We don't have a representation of this habit nor a language to interact with it. I give you an example. A smart appliance like a washing machine may inform us about the consumption and, uh, and when it's on, when it's off, when it's ready, when it needs to be emptied. But it will not remember the setups that we have to do with it every time we want to wash something with a particular um, profile, with a particular washing setup. Now I'm making a very um, a very concrete and uh, everyday uh, action example. But every day, even with a, more to, a smart washing machine from the latest technology, we will hardly have the possibility to save our own behavior, to say this profile is the way I like to wash my cotton t-shirts uh, of, uh, um, of a certain color or my sheets or, or the beddings uh, and uh, with a difference to the beddings of my baby. So this is just an example, but how can we program this in a, in a clear way on a small screen? How can we understand and actually shape the technology to our will the way we want it? This should be the question put on the table for companies. This should be the race that we put forward to them. Not just um, provide us with what the machines think it's nice for us, but provide us with the tools to tell the machines what they should be doing. And I conclude uh, here with this uh, example and digression. I know very well as a developer that this is harder. It's harder to do because we need to provide an interface to people rather than advertise an AI that understands you and does things that you want reading your mind. It's harder because we put people in power rather than the fairy tale of machine learning that learns things without us even teaching them. So it is the quality of the interaction, I think, the next race to what really is smart. Smart in serving us and not just like advertising us what we need, but letting us say what we need to the machines. I think this is very interesting. It brought me into kind of this memory I have. First of all, I, I give a little bit of, uh, I think, background to the memory and then I, I I, uh, I share a personal experience also uh, during writing my book. 
um, that first of all, when I was writing my book, I, I did a um, I did read an article uh, that I don't remember the name of the the authors, but it was a very popular article in the AI um, basically sphere that uh, was um, basically treating the notion of what is intelligence. And it gave around, I think, 40 different views of intelligence uh, from psychological point of view, from um, computer um, science point of view, from physiological point of view, from neuroscience point of view. So there was, it's, it was very interesting. And I, what I noticed was that, well, the real kind of um, notion of um, intelligence that is uh, taken in the smart city space is very much cerebral. It's just this efficiency and, and, and rapidity that is taken without really thinking about the qualitative features of smartness, the intelligent behavior. So what are those features? And this more mainly is um, highlighted by, well, we, we wire cities up with IoT and kind of things, and and then uh, with machines and automation, we can call cities smart. And I think they, uh, this is going to be a little bit. I think I'm, I'm advancing a little bit in the conversation. You can see the kind of the hallmark of this vision in the society 5.0 in Japan kind of uh, perspective that is basically everything is wired up and it's called smart. But I'm gonna stop here to, to, to share my um, my experience. When I was writing my book, I I did write the book uh, in four different countries. So I took a lot of um, uh, insight from Belgium, Brussels, and then I wrote uh, two chapters when I was living in Indonesia, and I wrote the final chapter when I was in India, and uh, also the the fifth kind of uh, put forward the framework of uh, how we can rethink basically the smart city um, idea and become better practitioners in the space by providing five different uh, rights to think about the right to the city, the right to smart city, the right to information, the right to technology, the right to design. And the final right that I wrote when I was in India was the right to becoming. And the reason that I, I had this kind of insight was that, well, I was in Varanasi, kind of one of the most kind of spiritual places that people go to kind of get rid of their karmas. Of course, I didn't believe in that kind of uh, idea, but I was I was really motivated to to visit India um, at that particular time. And uh, the thing that really shifted my perspective was one evening on a, as I was on the boat uh, visiting this uh, evening meditation and prayers. I would say there were around more than thousand people on different boats and India is totally different from Europe and it's kind of everything is moving so fast and kind of I it really defied my common sense at the time and uh, to my mind uh, all these boats were very chaotic I had this expectation of all day kind of hitting each other I was worried about them I was trying to manage them all the time kind of you you come don't come so in my head I was so wrapped up about what is the idea of how I can align this boat intelligently with my own understanding of intelligence. And to my surprise, they were all self-organizing. So they were really gently coming um, side by side and they were not never hit anyone. They, nothing happened. So everything was so peaceful. 
So I had this kind of uh, paradigm shift, if I can call it that way, that I felt like, well, this is intelligence because there is definitely a notion of organicness here. And I think this should be kept intact. We shouldn't think of intelligence as something that can be um, kind of sought after externally, ex- outside ourselves by virtue of machines and AI. And no matter which kind of AI we're talking about, I mean, it's important to have it. But I think to expect that something, a machine can really liberate us from the pain of this society, from the suffering, from the problems, from challenges, mm. I think is a very uh, wrong, I think it's actually very damaging to the, to the collective. And I thought that, well, there should be a a kind of fundamental understanding that well we can't make humans think that machines can make them intelligent because this is kind of it seems that there has to be some kind of expectation of citizens doing inner work and participate in creating an organic form of intelligence so i i agree with what you said in terms of like uh, what we are seeing in the tech just looking at uh, machine telling us what is smart, what is intelligent. So really, I think the, the, the idea is to, to understand this. And I think uh, we can understand it at this level. We, we, there, like, if you have more, I think maybe, um, I think more keen eye to really see the, the gaps and really care about well, the reality of the problem. I think interesting shifts can happen, and, and, I'm, and um, I'm very uh, excited. Let's yeah, can continue. you hear me? I guess so. Yes, yeah, I can continue from here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like uh, to explore your definition of uh, organic. I really love it. Uh, it makes me think of uh, uh, Roy Ascot's definition of moist media, of, uh, of a dimension that we often forget when we talk about technology and people. And, uh, and of a sort of uh, a swarm intelligence, which is also like a sort of grail for, uh, for, for intense research and uh, still cannot be reproduced easily, at least within the scope and uh, uh, quantity of information that a living, uh, a living being can, can process. Um, I like to make some uh, to draw a little bit of a, of a of a picture around what you say, and uh, I like to think that in uh, in this amazing in this amazing feature that cities have, namely the fact that they are dense spaces and that uh, they can, nevertheless, people we we manage to live peacefully in them to where narrow, very narrow spaces within certain cities. You named India, I also had the luck to visit these fantastic places, or Indonesia. Uh, big cities, very big, with, uh, with infrastructural challenges, uh, monsoons, so climate-led uh, uh, challenges that, um, that nevertheless are populated densely and in which manage to survive at uh, at a rate and in situations that we can hardly understand um, in the West or in places where more space is attend and sanitization and, and 
So in these spaces, I think one thing happened is that people are aware of what happens and what other people are going to do. So there is a certain intelligibility and not predictability. And I'm using this word consciously. I think there is an intelligibility into the way parts, and by parts I mean thing that moves, parts move within a city. It's um, intelligibility means to me now that if I apply some attention to, to understand uh, what is happening, then I can. It is possible to understand and it is possible to understand it by many means. Namely, it could be um, a sort of combination between my eyes, ears and smell if we want to narrow down to senses, but I can actually understand where this mass of people will move and how it will react to a gust of wind or to a car crossing um, faster or a boat rocking and getting closer to others. It is the same sort of um, balance that is reached in a very crowded and happy and euphoric place like a canal in the middle of Amsterdam during the gay pride or the king's, uh, 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 the king's birthday. These big parties with very, very dense crowds. And still no one, no one really managed to hurt each other. Um, most of the time they end up uh, uh, very, very smoothly. So how to explore this? This is, besides, this is a big, uh, a big topic for anyone managing a city, like the safety of crowded spaces. How do we deal with this? I think uh, until a certain point, a very uh, narrow point, uh, predictability was an approach was a fruitful approach. It has been um, largely explored with a lot of research on how predictable is the movement of humans across public space, uh, camera, um, uh, optical vision prediction, and so on and so forth. But I don't think this has achieved a level that really um, helps us to understand where we are. And um, by this, predictability i also see a like this predicting the approach of others besides being uh, pretty much of a of a uh, conflictual situation or a war situation in which you have really to predict uh, and and to confront your perception of the present with the fear and and um, and what the future may uh, await Besides this, I think it is a um, sort of top-down approach in which really we see cameras looking down to us, understanding and vehicling this information into dashboards that wise people will look at in order to make ourselves safe. It goes hand-to-hand -hand with uh, certain religions that really, um, you know, make the metaphor of hoarding ships as of uh, um, governing, uh, you know, the fates of, of the followers. But in, in a way, uh, this approach, I think, really lacks the empowering moment of saying this amount of people 
if put in the condition of um, exercising their intellect and understanding where they are and where things are going, if given perhaps some more hints about what is happening, they will be able to govern their situation better than an helicopter shouting at them, move left or move right. Or um, again, uh, um, a camera uh, predicting their movement. So what I'm talking about is consciousness and uh, self-consciousness, group consciousness. What is the consciousness of a smart city? How does that look like? And with this, I open a question like, what is the mean we have a cybernetic feedback uh, really informing people at a very fast, fast pace, almost real time, uh, I mean, with a low latency, uh, of where they are and what is happening. Again, here I'm coming back to the fact that we need intelligible uh, interfaces that we can interact with. Um, to conclude this sort of vision, what I concretely work on so far is human-like languages to program uh, reactions and uh, logics of computer because I believe that we can improve a lot in the field of uh, um, friendliness of uh, machine language more than in the field of AI which is becoming more and more complex and unintelligible so as deep learning is so deep that we cannot even understand it we can only look at results so on the other side i think we should work forward to a human-like language that can help people understand really and by language i don't mean only spoken or written language but uh, uh, you know a rich sensorial experience that can inspire people from there onwards i think the possibilities will multiply because as you explain well in your work, uh, there are many dimensions to the co-living, to inhabiting spaces, to being close together. There are so many dimensions, so many more dimensions. There's not, not just like interacting over a social network or interacting over a semaphore or over the space that we share. Uh, it will be a multiplier in the moment in which we make spaces more intelligible and more interactive to more people not just us as uh, privileged, uh, technically aware and uh, technically educated people. Well, very interesting. Thank you so much, Dennis. I made um, a lot of notes and I'm going to share one by one uh, some of the thoughts that I have. Thank you very much. Indeed, I, uh, I, I fully agree with uh, what you shared and I made a couple of um, um, notes here. So first of all, to the last question, where is the consciousness of a smart city? Um, I think I, um, I go back to the framework that I, I, um, I described in, in my book also in my uh, uh, company right now is that, well, in order to make a smart city, you have to look at three different components basically three building blocks. First of all, you have to have mindful, smart people, like you really have to invest on the citizens and then mindful, smart living spaces where cities that are actually designed in such a way that people relate to them and they design, co-designed indeed with 
with people and uh, also mindful smart interfaces where basically the interface could be it a uh, algorithmic algorithmic um, interface blockchain interface or technological interface should be also aligned with the vision of the, the other two so in a way it's a co-design co-evolutionary process where the combination of all these uh, elements uh, gives rise to uh, to consciousness so consciousness of a smart city in a way is an emergent uh, property that can come out of a more complex and cybernetic as you also mentioned view of cities that all of these uh, components feed back on each other um you mentioned about the predictability and intelligibility. I think it's very interesting. It's kind of like if you look at the um, the balance between the two, maybe the the smarter p- cities in a quote unquote the mindful smart cities, maybe they have a um, specific ratio of predictability to intelligibility and. And I would, I, I imagine that the current uh, paradigm is more toward the predictability, as I think it's also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I am kind of accurate here, but I'm just making some assumptions based on the past, let's say, 20 years of different kinds of shocks that um, globally we've been witnessing from earthquakes, from the terrorist attacks, and all of these different kind of I mean, migration, a population change, climate change, all of these. I think uh, the threat-driven kind of climate right now and maybe kind of push us to, pushes us to this predictability maybe paradigm, maybe that is... Um, also, I, was, um, I have to kind of add something here that I, I know that uh, as I was writing a blog the other day, uh, the authorities, city authorities and governments actually prefer the big tech views of smart cities because they are easier to build. They're also, they bring yeah. more, uh, actually more in- interesting in terms of return on investment and, and business model. So I think the uh, what's missing, and maybe we can continue in this direction, is that first of all, the decentralization. I think we're, we aren't really exploring what what is happening with decentralization and then also the application of blockchain technology and uh, web3 and all of these uh, related uh, umbrella technologies for empowerment and i think the governments uh, city authorities and those in charge maybe aren't aware of the power of these technologies i hope this is the case (laughs) Uh, Hmm. and uh, yeah i think um I, I, I stop here, so I would like to to hear your your reflections on your thought, and then uh, we continue. Yes, um, the what you say about being easy to deploy a new technology it is very interesting. Uh, I've seen now. I w- I will get a little bit direct on on the experience, but I've seen around a lot of cities, a lot of experiments and uh, also towns and and growth plants i i guess uh, as you say adopting uh, an easy uh, technology to tick the box of innovation on the agenda of uh, of a city council it's the most practiced thing and usually um you know consulting companies big groups 
just leverage their network of, uh, uh, let's say, innovation companies, which have nothing innovative. They are on the market since 100 years. All the ready several contracts with the city have no incentive really in changing the shape of the business they run. And they call them to build a new gizmo, another dashboard. There is no investment in the sort of research and development that involves interdisciplinarity. Uh, an important pillar also that you mentioned through your work. Uh, there is no involvement with uh, uh, an activity that is anthropological, that is ethnographical, that draws a chart that is not only that of uh, wires and uh, of uh, a bandwidth in between nodes. So it is easier to buy off the shelf a solution that uh, just uh, draws a map of uh, of certain features of a city and and call it innovation call it a smart city but uh, but it will never be enough and most importantly the footprint that this sort of approaches have it's sometimes huge not in terms also of locality but uh, global because it often doesn't reuse technology and here I like to put forward um, a very important point, what I believe is an important point for the definition of smart. A smart city is not a city that uh, aims at buying robots to clean up their streets by deploying more complexity and more technology everywhere, which is hard to handle, by the way, without a, a bunch of contracts and complications. It is a city instead that looks at what is there in terms of technology, in terms of people, in terms of resources, and draws a long-term vision that includes reusing this infrastructure, repurposing it. And it does so by looking at the licensing of every single component deployed so that it's possible to redeploy it, to repurpose it. A smart city is a, is a city that asks its uh, own uh, providers of infrastructure and components how long they are going to build and continue supporting that particular component. It's, uh, it's a city that looks at the durability of certain approaches and not just by the amount of liability that a company can assume, but by the amount of openness that technology has. So by the amount also of a community that sits around the technology. So at last, I think uh, a smart city is a city that produces infrastructure just like TVs were produced 40 years ago when shops could pop up run by the smart people that know how to repair a TV. So this, this dimension of reparation, the possibility to repair and not just like build new scratch and build new but actually repair and build upon it is a core foundation i think of what is smart or what should be smart and is not right now in the mainstream interpretation of smart um, for this to happen of course we need uh, once again to build for uh, people and not for machines so that people can understand the machines around themselves. 
if we build for machines that just understand people, then we are making machines a subject and uh, people just the object of this transaction. And uh, it will be hard for people then to decide back about what happens on their infrastructure. It will disappear behind further complexity. So I think that reusing, so the right to repair, campaigns like the right to repair are more than dealing with consumer rights. They are dealing with an architecture that, uh, that needs to be in place. Uh, an architecture of reusability and of intelligibility for, for what is around us. I, um, I am very happy that you mentioned this because um, I remember when I was doing a uh, kind of survey of these kind of common practices right now and um, uh, in smart city space, I found, um, I think, around um, five projects that are kind of uh, very popular. Toyota, Woven City, Neom, I think, it's, I think it's in Saudi Arabia. Mazar City, I think, is very popular in Dubai. And also the SoundGo Smart City. Um, all of these uh, smart cities were um, promoted by big tech. Uh, yeah as their name suggests and they're backed up with billions of dollars um, but i think what i found kind of very sad was that all of them would go find a uh, kind of land buy a land and kind of a really real estate approach kind of buying a land quickly building something and then putting sustainability and all of these buzzwords and i think hot terminologies in their agenda and I was thinking actually exactly about what you said about the right to repair and also kind of rethinking how, well, who is going to repair these things. It's not just adding something new, but this, uh, there, these cities, these um, designs are subject to decay and nobody is discussing that. So I, my question was, well, the, cur the current approach is, well, buy a new ground, build from scratch, and this is kind of the future without really thinking, well, who is going to live in the these cities? And then, well, what will happen to the previous cities so why shouldn't we look at what we have and then design trajectories and pathways that can gradually move us into a smarter version so smart therefore is not a kind of a an adjective that is a smart city but it becomes like a verb it's kind of active in space and time and there is no definite vision so it's kind of a continuous relationship with people with technology with cities with, with spaces of in, in the city as as the 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 triad evolve and co-evolve together so not looking at smart as a destination like society 5.0 kind of the ultimate society that i highly actually criticize it but more of a um, of a gradual increase in of awareness and consciousness in city in citizens because at the end of the day no matter which kind of technology you're putting into the city if it's filled with city that with citizens that are, don't care about each other that are not kind they're not compassionate they're they're not caring about each other i think that's a prison it's a very smart prison and i think anyway if it's a smart prison it still is a prison yeah you bring it uh, uh, to the core uh, uh, argument of a city planner, uh, really. Um, how close can we be 
to the center and uh, still build uh, build with innovation in mind and uh, yeah it is it is difficult um, city centers are uh, very strange beasts and i mention a city center because it is the place where we will find the oldest buildings and where interventions are most complex and um, yeah when when you mention like a smart jail uh, i definitely think of uh, uh, certain unfortunate not all of them but certain unfortunate developments in cities where an, uh, an outskirt a far away periphery is named as the next uh, you know smart city pole uh, very high tech houses are built and uh, everything looks uh, horrible to live in because basically there is not that uh, chi in terms of uh, people flowing in terms of uh, ideas in terms of uh, coziness of uh, you know casella uh, is not casella as we say in uh, in the netherlands is not really uh, exciting to live in there so I'm not with this argument I'm not saying that city centers are the most exciting places but uh, now now you really touch the point that uh, it's uh, it's also speaking about money and business models we have to think about them as you mentioned at the beginning uh, of of uh, our dialogue um, how can we intervene into spaces that are um, that are heavily already built, designed, rebuilt and repurposed and be sure that people will maintain that sort of infrastructure. I argue that most of the experiments today are at least in in the modern in the modern direction of infrastructure and I'm not talking about buildings anymore are looking into the right direction. There are a lot of more measurements, concerns um, standards and documentations about how things should be interoperable and maintainable in the future. Uh, speaking of my field, software has evolved a lot in the past 20 years. And I guess also uh, construction, buildings, technologies. We need to apply this sort of practices more rigorously. And uh, and uh, we should not fear of interacting with existing infrastructure in the moment in which we can be sure this interaction is maintainable. It improves the maintenance of a place, not just its, uh, it, it, not just its looks for the next 10 years or for the next uh, uh, flipping operation of, of a building or of a road or uh, of a neighborhood. So this makes this gives a, a perspective also to to people going to live there because again if we stay into the real estate field which is a very interesting field to look at uh, people buying a house they don't just do it for themselves at least a large amount of people buying a house for their family they do it for a long-term vision of living there getting old there and growing kids there and leaving a space for their kids or at least having it for them to visit them back. So this sort of maintainability, it is a metric that is not evident uh, right now 
we can tell the class of consumption of a building, we can tell by the size and number of uh, rooms and uh, the sort of features that um, are listed a little bit what sort of building it is. We can visit it, but still we do not have the sort of technical um, documents that um, allow us to predict what is the maintainability of that building. And I think uh, I conclude the drawing on your vision here uh, that as, as much as Europe is now adding an index of recyclability to the households that are sold in Europe, just like the energy consumption, I think we should start having that in terms of cities and buildings because it will also help fight a certain shape of speculation that aims at building uh, new and unused structures in the middle of our cities, in spaces that are perhaps open, perhaps less programmed, but still lived by markets, by ad hoc uh, initiatives led by, by, uh, by citizens, by social centers, and, and build something that is new, looks shiny, but has no sustainability in terms of participation, in terms of, uh, again, intelligibility of what is the purpose and how can be adapted, of rewritability of that sort of object. And uh, I, I've seen, uh, this is a very, very interesting vision and I really enjoy this dialogue. Um, it, we are almost uh, uh, at the end for this meeting and I think we can repeat it. I think of houses, thanks to your, your fascinations uh, uh, that, that you're giving, of houses just as algorithms here. I would like uh, uh, people to be able to interact with the fabric of, uh, of software as much as of the city in a democratic way. And I think only good things can come from this. Inclusion, as you mentioned, it's it's ridiculous but true we are still on the fight of of a gender equality and later on we will be on the fight of uh, i guess uh, um, equality in terms of generational equality um, i wonder uh, how and when we will get to the point in which we discuss of cities as seen from the eyes of uh, kids of elderly people and insert it really into the planning of of their their fabric, their urban fabric, and not just like of of features of the architecture and of roads, but also of big choices in terms of business. Um, right now, uh, living in Amsterdam, I can tell you that uh, the tendency, at least in these big global cities, is reverse. We are making space for young urban. Uh, subjects that move uh, from a corporation to another and we are building a city that is basically a hub, a big office and uh, we are just lucky it was never built for look to look like a jail but it may go into that direction also considering the unaffordability of its spaces and uh, the tendency to repopulate it with an exclusive kind of people that uh, looks <laughs> very normal and uh, 
and uh, and very uh, normalized and and equal from the eyes of a financial market that is that is uh, you know equalizing the sort of uh, um, the sort of uh, citizenship that we observe in these big global cities so um i leave it there i think uh, i've said enough and uh, i look forward to to have a walk and a stroll within a city and observe uh, more features than than what i just mentioned excellent i think um, you brought me uh, the idea of i don't know if you know uh, guy debrat he's uh, he was an urban urbanist uh, with the theory of derive that he put forward as a as a way to preserve the serendipity in the city design and i think it's very interesting to look at it i think it can be also interesting um to apply in software development approach uh, beautiful yeah of course i i'm a big fan of the board yeah, yeah. and uh, i think the other thing um uh, i think final note and also i think maybe we can leave 10 minutes uh, to the audience if they have any question or want to say something was that um when you were describing this um technological takeover i was thinking of you know we have this gentrification happening in cities but i was thinking like maybe we have also technological gentrification the the technology the technological gentrification in my mind it was like uh, when i was listening to you i i was uh, imagining uh, milan city center i love it uh, as a as a city center is one of my favorite cities milan and uh, i'm always fascinated by the by the structure of Domo, which took, I think, around 100 years to be built. And I think it's just, uh, it, it is kind of a structure that I think it's timeless, it's very classic, and it, I think it will be there another 100 years, maybe another 200 years, because it's such a classical, iconic expression of human, uh, I think, history. But I think it's missing from what we are promoting in the smart city space. We are not building with the same level of ingenuity and I think desire to really kind of do something meaningful. Because even even though I'm, I'm particularly not religious, but I think the, the drive behind building such a beautiful uh, structure, it always fascinates me. So I, th- I was thinking like, this technological maybe gentrification in a way it's cutting through the space and time and and making this uh, isolated chapters in the city history where okay this is from the age where uh, technology is going to take over the city where culture time history spirituality human stories kind of out of the conversation because it's just the narrative that technology wants to push forward and i think maybe it's because of the immaturity of technology maybe it's because of our fascination with it but i just leave it as an open discussion and then anybody is willing to this comment on it um, now or even later when this recording is, uh, is available on our platform I would appreciate it, but maybe there is yes. also something like a gentrification, technological gentrification. With that said, uh, well, thank you, Dennis. I really love this discussion. I, I, I think it's just we need to discuss more. I think we need to have this kind of conversation more and more with people, and I think even with city authorities. And really, final thing, I think it's it. There is a need, which I, also myself, I'm active in this space to provide a. a 
an alternative business models where our building um, impact models, business models that are showing that you can make business, you can create a sustainable business by invest by investing on people, by empowering people, and really giving back to the to the people. So lifting every everybody from the poverty, from the lower basically part of uh, hierarchy of needs towards uh, like from deficiency needs towards transcendental needs i think it's possible and i think maybe that's why we're here on this planet i don't think that there is anything else more meaningful than than creating a place where everybody experiences abundance and i strongly believe this is possible we have so much abundance compared to 100 years ago that i think we if yeah. we really get together in a shared vision in a meaningful i think drive we can do this with that said thank you so much everyone thank you dennis for being a part thank of this you <laughs> and uh, now like thank you so much everyone once again dennis thank you so much i really appreciate your participation me too i enjoyed I really, and looking really, forward to be again uh, uh, in in a dialogue with you